Hello and welcome to All Things Albion, the podcast dedicated to West Bromwich Albion. Please welcome my co-host back on the 28th of December 2015 when West Brom beat Newcastle 1-0. He was there and so was I. How are you, Steve? I'm good, thanks, Mike. Yes, I was there when we beat that other stripes. I did, yeah. Darren Fletcher scored in the 78th minute. Um Bit more of a cheerful episode this week. We we won a game, yeah. Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope so. Yeah. So we're recording this on the sixth of March. Uh, so we beat Hull yesterday, two uh, nil. Um, a really good performance. Finally, finally, Taylor Garden Hickman starts a game at centre midfield, which is what we've. We've definitely been saying on this podcast for months and and pretty much all the fans have been saying the same thing. Uh, Carlin Grant scored in the first half uh, and then early on in the second half with a penalty which was won by Taylor Gardner-Hickman. It was great, really good performance. Uh, I think the team selection raised a few eyebrows, mainly Dean Garner and Andy Carroll being dropped, um, but worked wonders. And to be fair, it was... uh, completely different from Swansea last Monday, wasn't it? It was. Um, it was in some ways. Um, but we're not out of the woods yet. It, wouldn't it have been nice if we'd got this selection um, possible uh, and sort of about a month back during the time that um, Liverpool, Livermore was banned, if he hadn't been, and he'd, we'd played um, TGH where he was played yesterday. We might have won a few games. We, we might have had a different set of circumstances. Um, and now, we've, of course, we've got really two really tough fixtures coming up um, at Huddersfield and Fulham. Uh, and you think, well, OK, we've hit a bit of form, perhaps. But now we've got two real tough fixtures coming up. It would have been nice to bed that new form in against not such tough opponents. But yeah. anyway, yeah, it's good to win. The way I feel about the win, <clears throat> and obviously our, our league position isn't fantastic. Um, you know, we're still, I think, as of recording, six points off the playoffs. And I think uh, I think Middlesbrough is the sixth place and they've got a game in hand on us. It's either Middlesbrough or Sheffield United. But the way I just feel about it is it's just nice to win. I just, after the game, I just thought, I don't care what the league position is. I just, it's so nice to come away with a win because... I think, I think. well, I personally try and protect myself by going, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it does matter. You do have that little bit of a spring in your step when you win. You do are in a little bit of a bet, in a better mood that Saturday night when the Albion win. And that's the effect they have on me anyway. And I'm, I'm pretty sure the same as you. It's true what my, her ladyship says. I'm a different bloke if the baggies win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was nice to win. Um, I want to break things down a little bit because, um, and I'm going to start with our our midfield because it it seemed like finally Bruce got it right, playing three across the middle and having Telegarden, Hickman, Mowat and Livermore as our, as our, you know, centre midfield. And I know we've criticised Livermore a lot on this podcast, but what I want to say about that is... I think the reason that Taylor Gardner-Hickman played so well is because Livermore was there. And I think the reason that Livermore played so well is just Taylor Gardner-Hickman there. And I'll I'll explain and I'll expand on that. The reason being, Taylor Gardner-Hickman brings our midfield real energy, that real youthful tenacity, and it, it completely transforms our midfield. Because of that, 
that means that Livermore is able to play his natural role. He's an older player. He's not as mobile as he once was. He can sit and he can pull the strings from centre midfield and he can affect the game in different ways. But when we were playing with Malumbi, who also does, to be fair, have energy, but it's more aimless energy. I find he just runs around rather than with a purpose. It means that Livermore has to stretch himself. Livermore has to take tackles that he shouldn't really be taking because he's having to constantly, he's getting dragged all around the place. Whereas with Taylor Gardner Hickman there, it means that he's able to, like I said, play his more natural role and he's, he's a, better, a role he's more suited to. And obviously vice versa in terms of Taylor Gardner Hickman, because he's got Livermore there, because he's got that experienced old head, because he's got that player to, you know, sit when Taylor Gordon Hickman goes bombing off to forward. It's just a perfect partnership. And the reason I want to talk about those two in isolation, because they've got a lot of praise, them two and Matt Clark, uh, got a lot of praise for yesterday's game. But I just, as I was watching it, I was just like, finally, we've been saying this for months and months and months. Taylor Gardner Hickman is not a right back. He is a centre midfielder. He can play the right back. He can play at left back. I'm sure he could probably play up front if he needed to, but he can actually, his, his best position is centre midfield. And it finally felt like Steve Bruce got it right. And I echo almost everything that you say there, mate. I think you're absolutely spot on with your assessment of um, <clears throat> the, the difference in Livermore's uh, performance is because he wasn't being drawn into doing the jobs of at least two people. Yeah, He, he could just do his own job because he could rely on TGH to do the job that he'd been asked to do. And Moat, who, although he, he, that ball in for our first goal was just oh, yeah. superb, it was sort of Brunt-esque, um, he was more, I West thought... West Brom's Harry Potter. That's him. That's him, the one with the wand, mate. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he was, he was uh, still a little bit anonymous for me. I mean, yeah. it, I always, I was thinking to myself, when I was looking at this three-man midfield, because it was obvious that it was so much better than previous three-man midfields, central midfields. And I was thinking to myself, well, what is it? What is it that's different? And the difference is exactly what you said it was, that Livermore could do his job, TGH was doing his job, and Moat looks like he might be able to do his job. And perhaps we had the first inklings of that by that, that beautiful assist, um, that he might be able to get back into a little bit of form and produce the job that he was doing um, previously before becoming this anonymous um, third wheel that, that he's become a little bit in, in midfield. So, yeah, I was really encouraged. And I, I want to I wanna say something about TGH. I, I was looking at him in the way that I've just explained. And what he does, I think we've got a player on our hands. Really do. I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, and I, I've said this before and I come a cropper, really. But when I look at him play, everything he does, or not everything he does, but the vast majority of the decisions he makes are the right ones. He can receive the ball, whether it's straight to him, whether he's on the half turn. And the, the first, his first thought is to go forward. It really was good to see. Um Clark have such a positive impact on coming back into the team, and um, and and I was quite impressed. I was quite impressed with Ajayi as well, largely. Um, his speed 
around the back three uh, and covering over on the right occasionally when he has to. And he got forward as well. I, I, I was impressed with Clark got forward as well. So, yeah, I think possibly Hull allowed us to be a little bit less concerned with ourselves and a little bit more concerned with going forward and doing them damage. Uh, I don't think we'll have the same opportunities against Huddersfield and definitely Fulham, but it's a strong positive, a strong step in the right direction. And my God, what a lovely feeling to see them playing pretty well, putting the effort in, because they did, they really worked the socks off. Uh, and and there was a little bit of quality about. Still short of quality, though, in this team. Uh, summer, we need to supplement what we've got with some serious quality. Uh, yeah. We need a strike. We need we need a goal sniffer, and we need a quality ball player in the middle of the park to complement the two main players that I was talking about um, just now. I think um, I think that's how I feel. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not deluded. I know that it was one win, and it was. Um, it's pe- You know, it might be papering over the cracks because at the end of the day, we have been poor up until now for a long time. Pretty much since Bruce. Well, before Bruce arrived with Val as well, we were poor. So yes, absolutely. There's still work to be done. It doesn't. You know, one win doesn't make that much of a difference. But I just want to be a little bit optimistic because it's been so negative for so long. But no, absolutely. I think. Um, you know. There's definitely work to be done. There's definitely questions to be asked in the summer uh, and we've got a big summer ahead of us. But like I said, at least we've got the win um, and it looks like we're staying up. We're staying up. (laughs) Anyway, so um, let's talk about Steve Bruce's comments after the game. This is with WBA.co.uk. So he said, I wanted my first win a bit earlier than it's happened. However, today I thought we were very comfortable. The first half an hour was the best I've seen from us since I've been here. It was a difficult pitch and the conditions were difficult too. I thought we settled into the game really well. We got the goal in the first half and then we got a penalty really early in the second half. We were comfortable in the end. And on another day, we could have come away with more goals if we'd had user space when they came up at at us towards the end. It's been a difficult period for everybody. The only way you can start rebuilding anything is to get a few results and we got our first today. They've shown a certain resilience today, which helps. Jake Livermore made a difference to us. He gave us resilience and composure in the middle of the pitch. I was delighted with his performance. I'm also delighted for the supporters who have come a long, long way. They made a huge effort once again. We've given some. We've given them something to shout about, winning 2-0 away from home and keeping a clean sheet. I've got to give the them a team which they would enjoy watching maybe i tried to do things too quickly when i first came here so i've looked to myself and tried to change i've been overwhelmed with the reception and i've i've had everybody here at the club it's a great club and a lovely club to work for hopefully this is a start of brighter things to come fair play to steve bruce i've been quite critical of him recently obviously i put that post out saying you know was val was sacking val a mistake um just quickly on that, it, uh, polarised opinion to say the least. Um, and that's fair enough. Everyone's entitled to their opinion and I appreciate the feedback. Um, but yeah, fair play to him. You know, obviously he's not just looked at the squad. He has looked at himself, which I'm I'm quite impressed with. And the other thing I've got to say, I don't know if you noticed this, but the game yesterday, there was a point where he shouted at one of our players and he was basically effing sort yourself out or something those lines. and that did the rounds on twitter people said who was he talking to but fair play at least you've got a manager 
you know, maybe did come in a bit too nice, maybe did come in a bit too friendly and, you know, wasn't really established himself as the boss. But yesterday, he never stopped talking all through the game. He was telling people what to do. He was instructing the team. He was, you know, really, you know, I suppose if you could rate the performance of a manager from a fan who was watching the game, I thought he did a good job. He did a great job. I mean, certainly he was vocal and you could and we could actually we were actually blessed to be able to hear the fact that our manager was was enthusiastically pushing on the team and, and demanding um, performances from from them. And and I think that's what I like to see from a captain on the pitch. I, I would I would I would be really, really pleased to see that happening on the pitch Um not necessarily just from the sidelines, but yeah, um, I think I think what it is with Steve Bruce, I, I think he's, he is quite, you know, a pretty open, honest bloke by the sound of it. Yeah. And he's he probably he probably isn't, I don't know, the most talented, uh, most most sort of uh, insightful, most wonderful sort of, you know, I don't know, gifted manager in the world. But he will he will give you 100 percent and he'll give you honesty as well. I would imagine he was a brilliant captain for Manchester United when he played for them, and uh, and you could and I heard that from the sidelines. And of course, whoever was in receipt of that, well, hopefully they took it properly. But but um, and I don't know which one he was talking to. I saw various suggestions on Twitter, of course. But uh, yeah, it, we kept a clean sheet, so uh, perhaps that contributed to it. Mm. It's it's a strange one, maybe. We, I mean, we've we've criticised this team because it doesn't seem to be a team of any that's got any leaders in it. You know, you don't see many people, you know, shouting orders, telling people what to do. It doesn't seem to have that type of player in the team. So maybe Bruce has thought, well, I'll take up that sort of role, and I'll just shout, you know, as much as I can from the sidelines. But anyway, whatever he did worked. You know, don't be wrong. He's not he's not the manager of the season by any any stretch, but positives where positives are found he did well and um, it was a great team performance so the next thing I want to talk about and this is one that I've been working on for a little while actually is um and it, we usually me and John used to like our deep dives we used to, I used to say we'll get our goggles and snorkel on so I suppose in a way this is our first deep dive into a subject and what I want to talk about is our season tickets value for money because there's been a lot of talk of season tickets recently. You know, we haven't got enough fans going to the stadium. The sky fixture, sky moving fixtures left, right, and centre. Um, you know, younger fans not being able to attend because they, um, you know, their parents are at work or that it's a school night or something like that, which is really, I think, going to hinder our team, the West Brom, moving forward because you know younger fans are the people who are going to take over from the older fans uh, in the future. So. You know, it's it's something that really needed to be addressed. So for just to make a change, I put a post out on social media um, and I basically just said, does anybody know how many season tickets West Brom sold this season? And I had a few responses. Um, and thank you very much for the guys who responded. Uh, so basically, um, somebody thought it was over 18,000. I don't know if that's true. Um, but, you know, that's the sort of figure you can work from. And that does give the club quite a lot of money. We're talking millions of pounds. You know, I mean, obviously, I know that not all of that is 
is, I mean, because I remember when we had a season ticket, it was £400, wasn't it? £400 a yep. season, which is quite yep. reasonable, to be fair, you know, in the scheme of things. I'm not saying it's reasonable, you know, for anything else, but in terms of football, it's a reasonable price, I suppose. Um, and like I said, if we had 18000 we're talking millions of pounds that the club is generating in revenue from season tickets alone. Then obviously you've got, you know, the, the sort of the drinks and pies and, and chips or whatever at half time and you've got programmes and you've got all sorts of things that fans purchase when they're at the crowd, uh, sorry, when they're at the ground. So, you know, because my first thought before I looked at the numbers, I was actually going to say, should season tickets be free? Because they keep talking about how, oh, everything's eclipsed by TV money. But then when I actually looked at the numbers, I thought, well, no, that's a ridiculous subject because it does bring the club a decent amount of revenue, which I think... We would, you know, if it meant buying some extra players and doing well, you could understand why the club charges what it does. So anyway, um, so I'd look into what the club actually offers season ticket holders currently. So they've got the WBA TV Plus, which is a decent little service. It's basically almost like West Brom's version of Netflix. It's nowhere, obviously, as stocked up as Netflix. And they do add things quite a lot. Um, the things that I saw were a trip down Halfords Lane, which is they, where they basically interview certain people. I know Chris Brunt, James Morrison's been on there. I think Darren Moore, uh, Tony Bomber-Brown's been on it. Uh, they've done season reviews. Like I think they're currently going through the 2001-2002 season. We were there. I was yeah. there and so was he. Um, they do memorable games. They've got match replays like like up, up up-to-date match replays i think a day after the game happened and you know so it, that is a decent service to be fair and like i said you know for your season ticket you get that included but unfortunately there is the downside and the downside is mainly what you get offered on the pitch currently i know we won yesterday but sky move games constantly you know people are not being able to attend games because it's either a friday or a monday or a midweek game um, and people just can't do it uh, the football hasn't been particularly good recently. Uh, the weather, obviously, during the winter is usually not very good in England. And um, and then also traffic, um, you know, traffic around the stadium can be quite shambolic. You've got the M6, the M5, you know, it, it can get very busy. So firstly, in terms of the season ticket, do you think it's good value for money currently? Specifically this season... Um, I would say it's lost some of its value. Uh, I don't think 400 quid um, is a massive a massive amount of money for for following a relatively successful team and getting being able to get to the games and watch them. Uh, I, I mean, there are those people who will say oh, it's too much, and there are those who will say it's a bargain. I think you know toe in the middle line through that I, I i don't think it's too bad however this season um the value of that season ticket has been decimated through uh football being on the television and season tickets oddly enough who commit the money up front are the ones who've suffered um yeah. so so as a specific this season i mean you expect it from time to time um, and we expected it from time to time when we were in the premier league to have a our, cha our games changed by Sky because we were in the Premier League and they had to throw us a bone occasionally to put us on the television because that was the way of the world. 
But this season, because they anticipated we were probably going to be one of the bigger fish, uh, and 13th place in the championship doesn't really denote that. Um, we've been in, on the television a lot, and we must have been well. We must have been depressing a lot of uh, neutrals out there for a long period of time, <laughs> to be honest. <clears throat> so yeah, it, 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 I think I feel strongly for young young supporters and and parents of those young supporters because all of these night games which have which have come about because saturday games have been changed it's not right it's not right and it's not fair to people who are willing to commit their money up front mm. now so therefore i think i think there's a need now to think about the value of season tickets and so this deep dive that you're talking about is really really quite sort of apt uh, and it's well timed it's well timed because and, and the reason i say that is I've had a few thoughts about what they should do for season ticket holders. It, it, and that, that television um, uh, channel that you talk about, that, that's good, that's decent. Uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an innovative idea that the club had to do that. But they could be doing more, you know. I mean, how much is a replica shirt these days, for instance? Well, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I did think about was I personally think, and I think you agree, is that you should get a replica shirt free with every season ticket you sell. Because, yes, a season, a replica shirt might be 40, 50 quid in the club shop, but you can bet your bottom dollar the club isn't paying that money to have it there, like to, 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 to manufacture it. Um, so, you know, I think personally, a, 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 at least one thing would be to give each season ticket holder a replica shirt. Everybody should have a replica shirt in their size uh, and a current one um, to go with their season ticket. That, that's yeah. a, that should be a given. Um, it, however, there should be options available. So if somebody doesn't want to choose a replica shirt because, I don't know, they don't really like the idea to work it, wearing a replica shirt to the games or they don't yeah. really want Which to. Which I don't. I don't find them particularly comfortable. No, I prefer no. to wear a T-shirt. So, and there you have it. So therefore, you've got the choice. So... You should be given a replica shirt, as I say, de rigueur, or if you don't, if you choose not to have one, you can choose something else, one of a range of things. Well, the, easy, the easy answer, sorry to interrupt you, but the easy answer to that is, well, how much a replica shirt costs? 50 quid. Okay, every person who, who buys a club, a season ticket, gets £50 voucher for the club shop. Yeah, yeah, and that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about, really. You, you could do that. Um and and yeah, that, that's that's got a good that's. Good. But I was thinking I hadn't quite gone that far as a voucher, um, but you're right, it's probably better. But I was thinking of the, the fact that you've got a range of options, um, and and you could choose up to a certain value, what the thing was that went with your season ticket for your uh, for your amusement for your benefit sort of thing. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what in my opinion, what as a, as it's so okay, I'll talk about myself personally. What made me fall in love with West Brom was when, you know, you took me up, me and John, in the early years of our lives. And initially, we weren't very good. We were pretty pants. And I remember us being able to pick our seats in the Birmingham Road. And we used to just laugh. We used to have a right laugh at basically how, how poor the Albion were because we were really bad when I first started watching. What did we but used to call them? The Pathetics. Yeah, <laughs> West Brom pathetics. <laughs> pathetics. But then, you know, but I fell in love with them then, 
before the upturn in form and everything, just because it felt like you belonged. You know, there was there was obviously other people there. You'd have really good chats. You'd have really good banter with you know the other people at the on the, in the stand, and and it was just a good atmosphere. And then obviously, you know, you start to you might well I did anyway. I started to get heroes. You know, the players that I refer to as my heroes. The first one was Alan Miller. It was just oh yeah, great goalkeeper, and you uh, got me a signature, and it was amazing. Anyway. And then obviously moving on to like Paul Robinson, uh, who I was lucky enough to interview recently, and Andy Johnson. Anyway, I've said it enough. But that is what made me fall in love with West Bromwich Albion. And it was nice to be able to go up every week. And to be fair, they did a a kids for a quid, wasn't it? So it was only costing you sort of 20 odd, 30 quid a year. Your first season, your first season ticket, yours and John's first season tickets were 24 quid each. There you go. So, but that meant... Obviously, you know, we need someone to take us, so you had to pay a full-price season ticket. But that meant that if we missed a game because we wanted to do something else, it wasn't a big loss to you. I know that the club does something similar. Um, a uh, One of the people who kindly responded on Twitter said that I think his daughter's um, season ticket was £49 this year. So I'm guessing that's somewhere, you know, in the region of £2 per game or something like that. Which, to be fair, is affordable and it's good the club's doing that. But, like, I think they should do more. Now, we've already discussed that, um, you know, they can't really reduce, well, they can reduce the price, but that would obviously hinder, you know, the possible of, of an extra player or things like that. But, so what What can they do as well? So, what anyway, what I'm trying to get out of this long-winded story is that I think you need to feel like you're part of the club. Absolutely right, that is. You know, you need to feel... And and so in terms of Ron Gourlay's you know comments on he wants to um, you know be more transparent with the fans and have better communication with fans I completely agree with that, but I think the club could go further. What I'm thinking of is something like season ticket special season ticket holder special events. Now I know that you can't have eighteen thousand people all turn up to one event unless you have a really big event. So you could do things like a certain section or a certain tier, a certain. You know, certain uh, I don't know part of the stand gets to do this, and then they could do it in terms of like, so they could run an event on a Sunday, and then have just parts of the fan or season ticket holders each Sunday who can attend a special event. I don't know a, a chat with Gary Megson, you know, a um, a chat with one of the ex players or some something along the regions. I think what they need to do or is a tour the, or a tour of the club or something yeah, like that. A tour of the club, yeah. Make you feel like when you purchase that season ticket, you are being you are supporting West Brom because you are supporting them financially and in person when you attend games. Which is the but, essence of support, isn't it? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you actually feel like you are entering into a club. And you are entering into West Bromwich Albion. And that's, in my opinion, the best way to not only make people feel like there's more value for money, because the club have already come out and said that they can't control when the games are and stuff like that. But not only will it do that, it will also inspire younger fans, in my opinion. And this is a this is someone who's a dad of two young lads who I hope will become Albion fans. Will will bring them in and want them to be a part of the club and want them to be fans because we said on the last episode we're competing on against Sky Games and you I think it was Tottenham versus Man City and it was a real spectacle and I think Tottenham won three two in the end. Yes, West Brom can't compete with that because we're just not we're not a, a top Premier League club. 
you know, and, and to be honest, it's laughable. We'd even try at the moment with how we're playing. So what can you do instead? Well, what you can do is get fans in the stadium so they can see the atmosphere. They can, you know, sort of get to become a part of the club. And, and anyway, that's the best solution I could come up with and give fans a better, um, you know, sort of experience as a season ticket holder. And I think I think we've we've mentioned some some good suggestions and I don't know and the the practicality of of actually applying these uh, these possibilities I suppose varies depending on what they are what you what you want to focus in on but for me the other thing that makes you part of a club uh, and this is again me talking for me uh, is a couple of things one uh, as parents uh, you Mike you're going to have to take some culpability some responsibility because if you want your lads to be Albion fans you're going to have to go through what I've gone through <laughs> why'd you make us support this lot <laughs> yeah I've had it in the neck a few times I get it, still get it from John mainly but certainly I get it I get it and I think what I've always said is you need to nail your colours to a mast I think I think it's in our essence to do it, to sort of affiliate. So what you need to do, what do you need to do to affiliate and feel part of that thing that you're affiliated to? Well, you need to be communicated with. Yeah, absolutely. You need that thing that you, that mast that you've nailed your colours to needs to be responsive. And it needs to make you, it needs to make you feel part of itself of, of a greater whole and if it's going to do that it's got to give you a message and that message must be we are striving as our club to become a club which will compete with your spurs and your manchester cities and your manchester united's and your leicester cities and your arsenals and all of the other clubs that are established in the premier league there are lots of people who will sneer, usually supporters of other clubs, at the idea of West Bromwich Albion. Being the club that it was in 2012, yeah. we got to a point where 2012 became a reality. And where we were at that stage was the West Bromwich Albion that was not quite, not, not quite, I, I, was, I was scared that we'd, that we peaked then, and as it turned out, I was going to be right to have that fear. However, when we were there and we'd been in the Premier League for a while, uh, and we would be for a little bit longer as well, of course, that we were where we belonged. Because historically, we're a top division club in my lifetime and previous lifetimes as well, the history of the club. Largely, we've been a top division club. We've had a few relegations, we've had a few promotions, but over the piece, We've been a top division club. So what that mast, that metaphorical mast, that club, that entity that we have affiliated with needs to do is to convince us that they're busting a gut to do what we want them to do and be in the top division competing yep. with the best in the land. And if and have, sorry, that, yeah, go if they're not doing that. And I've got to be honest with you, our ownership have not been doing that for a long period of time now. Then they are going to get people saying, is my season ticket worth it? 
Yeah, and they deserve their supporters to be saying things like that. Yeah, well said. Because something else I want to bring into this, and this is an article I think the Athletic uh, Steve made it from the Athletic release recently, um, and basically it was. Um, the demise of West Bromwich Albion and, and what's gone wrong. There was a certain part of it that people really picked up on, and, and rightly so. And I'm just going to read uh, sort of what they, what this part of the article says. So it says, an alternative view given to The Athletic by several sources close to Albion players is that rather than not caring enough, the squad is worn down by multiple failures, the intensity of Ishmael's spell in charge, and then our relentless criticism from fans Multiple sources have referenced the toxic atmosphere at the Hawthorns and increasingly among away fans as a key reason for inhibited displays with players reluctant to receive the ball and scared to take risks or be creative. If that is true, what we've just talked about, about building a fan base, about making them feel part of the club, you couldn't do anything more to dissuade fans from going. Because if you've got these players who are very, very wealthy who, you know, are are very highly regarded, I suppose, to be criticising fans who have to work Monday to Friday all week, you know, save their money up to be able to afford a season ticket, especially in time right at the moment with, you know, there's a bit of an affordability crisis going on, to then, then blame those fans for voicing their opinion. You could not do anything more, in my opinion, to dissuade fans from wanting to support the club. And I think you're right. Um, when I when I read that, and I, and I did read it, um, I thought to myself, not is this true? Because to be fair, it, it probably is. You know, it it probably is true that people and probably players um, have intimated such to people uh, that the, the players that they see around them are feeling the pressure a little bit, and they're feeling. They're feeling unloved. Well, everybody wants to feel loved. I've just been talking about supporters wanting to feel loved and included and sort of appreciated. Well, of course, the players want that as well. Uh, the thing is, it's chicken and egg. It, supporters, Albion supporters, uh, I think we've been through the mill yeah. as supporters. Certainly, Certainly people my age and not just old farts like me, but... All sorts of people have been through the mill supporting West Bromwich Albion. It's not an easy club to support. It's not. We don't glide through our recent history like many clubs that we could all mention. Uh, what we do is we fight our way through our recent history. Yeah. Everything's a trial and everything is a battle won. Well, players have got to accept that that's what they've got to do because they're the focus of our attention. And if they go out there and they don't do the business, we want results. We admire success. That's a human trait. We we admire people who are successful if it's an endeavour that we are invested in. And I've just talked about investing ourselves in our nailing our colours to the mast. Uh, and these are the people who wear our colours. And that badge and those colours are sacred to me. Break me in half, and I've got West Bromwich Albion through me like a stick of rock. And they, if they don't appreciate that the vast majority of people who are in that ground, that wonderful Hawthorns ground like that, then they don't get it. Represent me, 
represent us as a collective, represent West Bromwich Albion, and you'll be revered. But if you don't, if you don't, if you don't come up to standard, you'll be told. Yeah. And every time you don't come up to standard, you'll be told, probably impolitely. Well, somebody needs to explain that to the people who whinge in that way. Get respect. You don't get respect by whinging. You don't get respect by complaining. You get respect by doing the business, being successful and getting us where we want to be. Then you'll be loved. You'll become the words bandied around so much these days. You'll become legends. Well, you may not become legends, but you'll become respected ex-players of this football club and you'll always be loved for it. Yeah, well, you so, will. I mean, sorry. sorry so get on with it. And you, you, you know, it's really good uh, what you said then, so thank you. But you will, because I've said it before, and I won't go on about it too long, but honestly, meeting Paul Robinson was a real, real, like, highlight for me. He was my hero growing up. He, You know, he was somebody who I idolised growing up. And if you, like you said, if you put the effort in, and if you are determined, it's not about, in my opinion, and it wasn't about winning. It was about being determined and, you know, Loving the club and while you're there, okay, you know, things can change once you've left, but really put in 100% in every game and you will be revered by fans because I'm talking as a fan and I would felt like that about, and I've always felt like about West Bromwich Albion. So what you said was very good and I'm just echoing your thoughts really. So thank you very much for that. Um, it was well said. Cheers, Phil. Um, so let's go into uh, one last little story before we talk about the Huddersfield game. Um, it's this talk of a five million uh, pound uh, loan, which uh, the club is yet to pay off. So it's a bit of an interesting one, and you're a bit more knowledgeable than I am about it. But essentially, if I'm if I'm correct in what I'm saying, so when Jeremy Peace was in charge, part of the club loaned another part of the club um, money, and that loan is still outstanding, and it's actually gaining interest now. It was uh, promised by uh, Zoo K, uh, also known as Ken, um, last year, I think, that that, that, um, that would be paid off. Uh, I think he'd give a deadline. I think it was the end of February, maybe, or maybe the end of January, that it would be paid off. Um, but that didn't happen. So now that hasn't happened. Uh, the uh, minority shareholders in West Bromwich Albion have took legal action against the club. Am I right in what I'm saying? Yeah, the, it the essence of what you're saying is, is, is right. We're going to be careful here with this, with this, I suppose, to some extent. However, um, it's common knowledge that, uh, and, and it was reported on widely, that um, Jeremy Peace had a had a loan, took out a loan against a certain part, an entity of the club, uh, and there were various figures bandied about, which it's pointless going into. But I think with interest now, um, uh, the, well, the terms of the. The terms of the loan were were interesting and, and reportedly uh, as quite interesting and there, there seemed to be no real sort of uh, structure to repayments etc etc um, but I think in essence what what he's got was I think I believe the initial loan was something in the region of 3.7 million pounds uh, but now with uh, commonly accepted interest rates added for such loans it's it would be nearer to the five million pound mark now, which is what you told me, uh, and I have no reason to doubt that. Uh, and yes, it it was something that the responsibility of the owner, uh, it was the responsibility of the owner this loan, and 
obviously Jeremy Peace uh, sold to uh, Guo Chan Lai, who then became responsibility uh, became responsible for this this loan. And if it was to be repaid, it, it was his responsibility to do so. Now, um, so far, I've seen that I, I heard the reports that you did that it was going to be repaid. Uh, but of course, the man who made that um, promise is no longer in his position. Is yes, so he's he's gone sideways or downwards in a diagonally downwards direction, um, and it's gone all quiet on the subject. Well, I don't know what's happening in the same way that nobody else seems to either. However, um, it's it's a bit of a running sore that that needs a little bit of ointment put it on it. The club should do that, should heal it, because once again, it takes me back to what my blooming sermon that I just came. It's, if you want to be connected to West Bromwich Albion as a paying supporter, you want the person responsible for taking out a loan against that club to pay it back. Because what we're doing is supporting the club. So you as the owner best do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is all reports that we're hearing. Obviously, we don't know it as fact, but this is what we're being told and reading from other outlets. Um, and, and yes, comment <coughs> on what you just said. This is exactly that point, is the, the, the supporters are not being included in, in what's going on. And, and things like this are the exact epitome of, you know, not having, the, not keeping the fans in the know, not including fans, not not communicating with fans properly. And, and because of that, it leads to this sort of situation where no one really knows what's going on, but everybody is a little bit frustrated by it. Well, at that very point, uh, at that very point that we were told by Ron Gourlay that the club is going to start a new era of communications with its fans, that this what I call a running sword just now, is something that's disappeared into the weeds. Yeah. And it, it's a contradiction. It, it's a contradiction in, it's a direct contradiction to what Ron Gourlay said. Uh, you know, yeah, that was communicated. Uh, and then oh, this new era of communication is going to start. And then oh, silence on, on one of the points that's really contentious. Now, I'm not blaming anybody or any businessman for... And I'm certainly not um, defaming anyone or, or being difficult by saying that if a businessman that is in uh, that uh, takes a loan out against a, a club or or a business which he is um, invested in, uh, and it's to, with to the mutual agreement of both parties, it's fine, it's legal, no problem at all. But when it becomes ready, when it becomes time that this is paid for, then it should be paid for. Yeah. Uh, and and really, it's not just us as as supporters, although it does affect us because we are pivotal and crucial areas of the club. But there's a group of people, uh, S4A, the uh, minority, share, sh minority shareholders for Albion. Um, they are particularly disgruntled with it because they they feel that uh, a grievance against the club uh, in in this area. Uh, and let's face it, they've sunk money. They've sunk probably, in a lot of cases, quite a lot of money into the club to support it beyond what we do as you know, as season ticket holders or occasional ticket buyers, whatever. They've done more than that. So they deserve to get heard and they deserve that the club um, acknowledges the situation and deals with it. But they just haven't dealt with it. No, and I think to be fair to also um, just add a point to this, and, and what I'm led to believe 
is that if it was paid, the minority shareholders would get a dividend. But they don't actually want it. They want that club to that want that money to be reinvested back into the club. So the share the minority shareholders have the best the club's best interests at heart, in my opinion, with what they're doing. They're not doing this because they want the money. They're doing this because they want it sorted and they want us to be able to move on. And fair play to them. Um, let's talk about our next game now. Uh, we're playing Huddersfield uh, this Friday, 11th of March. Uh, we're at home, 8pm um, kickoff. So hopefully it's not a great, you know, it's not a great kickoff time, but hopefully people can make it, um, you know, if they can. Um, Huddersfield are doing very, very well. They're second in the league. They've had a great run of results, including beating Fulham. If we have found new form, this is definitely going to be a real test of it, isn't it? Well, I think they're 18 unbeaten, aren't they? Yeah, something like they've done really, really, really. They well. were they were certainly 17 unbeaten, uh, and I think they're they're now 18 unbeaten. But I could be wrong. I guess might still be 17. However, yeah, they're on a great run. And and like I said, really earlier on, we could have we could have done with finding a bit of form uh, early in our previous few games, which was against teams that weren't um, going to stretch. A, a fully functional Albion team to the extent that these next two games are. Mm-hmm. Um, but we found a little bit of form, perhaps. Uh, hopefully Steve Bruce has found a midfield that functions. So it's going to give us a chance, perhaps. Yeah, that, that's something I've got to say, actually, that I should have said earlier. If he doesn't play Taylor Gardner-Hickman, Jay Livermore and Alex Mower in the middle, if he drops Taylor Gardner-Hickman, I apologise for anybody who's wearing headphones that's listening to our next podcast. So I would just be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Unless, you know, God forbid there's an injury or something like that. He cannot, he can surely not change that. In my opinion, that team, really. But that midfield especially has to stay the same. He has to play Taylor Gordon Hickman. Val stumbled across Taylor Gordon Hickman midfield and never, never learned from that. And I, in my opinion, that was one of the many things that got in the sack. Steve Bruce has to learn and has to know that Taylor Gardner-Hickman, in my opinion, is a, is a start. Well, I don't know if you know it's my opinion, but Taylor Gardner-Hickman is a starter uh, at St Midfield. He, 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 brings a, he brings a forward momentum to the midfield um, yeah. for me. I, I've, I've, I've eulogised a little bit about him already today. Uh, but it's... I think... I, think it, I believe... Uh, that Steve Bruce is is an honest honest bloke. Yeah, and I think I think he's a down to earth, ordinary bloke as well. Really, apart from obviously being a multi millionaire, etc. Um, but I, I honestly think he's a he's a straightforward, down to earth bloke, and he's had it demonstrated to him now. What the what the, what the fans have been telling him, um, indirectly or directly, for a long period of time. He's just had it. He's just had it demonstrated to him. I, I can't think of anybody who's. There's no dissenting voices out there against TGH. He's one of ours, and he's a good one of ours. And we've lost too many good ones of ours in the past to tolerate losing this one. So I would say it's probably impacted on Steve Bruce that uh, that he's made a bit of a discovery that perhaps he wasn't anticipating, um, but he was told about by the supporters. I think I think he'll start. I think he'll be a pretty regular starter from now on. Yeah. Um, in terms of the Huddersfield game, something that is worth mentioning 
is they actually have a game tomorrow away at Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup. They've only got three days between games, haven't they? So hopefully that'll work in our favour. Well, what round is it? I mean, we get out, we we get ourselves out of cups so early now. I forget what blooming round it is. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. No, just, you see, there you are. You're in the same boat as me, mate. It, I think for, for me, uh, it depends on what round it is, um, because obviously the further into it, the slightly more um, notice that that clubs who aren't expected to win it take, because they think, oh, this is an unexpected pleasure, a cup yeah. run. So they start to take it a bit more seriously. Well, perhaps that, perhaps we're enough advanced to actually uh, to actually do that um, and benefit from from Huddersfield playing a strong team. I just want to thank you, Steve, for taking the time to talk to me today. I've really enjoyed this um, podcast. It was nice to talk about a win for a change and also talk about the season tickets. Um, if you guys want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, you can. Uh, if you just search for at all things WBFC on Twitter and all things Albion on Facebook. You'll find us over there. Really enjoyed this podcast. I'm hoping that, um, you know, this is the sign of better times to come and we can actually go on a run now. I'm not talking to, I don't want to talk too early. You know, I don't want to sort of create another false dawn, but fingers crossed. We now know our best team and we can utilise that going forward. Um, if you want to follow us on uh, the also on the platform of your choice, whatever you're listening on, if you just give us a follow, it's always really appreciated. Thanks for your time, guys. Thanks again, Steve. Boing, boing. And don't forget, we're all a family. Let's stick together. Boing, boing. Wait, we got a boing, boing from Steve. <laughs> well, we scored. We scored. Boing, boing. <laughs>